it's very easy to make content. But I think that when you have people who are using the medium to inspire, to inform, mm -hmm. to really help advance things, um, I think that, that because it's not always as instantly gratifying, that is something that we really need to focus right. on. And that's something that we do need to help support. Um, because, you know, I don't know if a, a guy that, you know, filmed his dog surfboarding needs our help. You know, he's got his views and it's fantastic. I've watched it a thousand times. I love it. But like, you know, I don't know that that needs, you know, the support. But like, you know, some of these documentaries that are, you know, telling the story of underserved communities, you know, that's, those are the people that need us, you know, to to help support that, help get that to more people. Mm -hmm. And because not only is it an important story, but it's being told in such a masterful way. Hi, my name is Jim Ellis, and this is Industry Insights, where we bring in industry professionals to share their knowledge and experience to the next generation of filmmakers. Today, our guest is DJ Summit. DJ is the president of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences for the Southwest region. He's also the founder of Filmworks, which, uh, where he does dynamic motion graphics, animation, and visual effects for our clients such as Carrie Underwood and... Jennifer Lopez, The Atlantic Fest, The Masked Singer, and The Voice. DJ, glad to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I understand you live right here in Vista. Yeah, about uh, two miles that way. Well, that's but, uh, awesome. Yeah, been here for about six years. Yeah, good. I was thinking maybe we should start with defining some of these disciplines that you've worked on uh, for the last number of years. Sure, sure. Um, like, you know, what is... Uh, Motion graphics, start there. Yeah, so the way, I, I always like to say this is how I describe them to my mom, you know. Um, so motion graphics is kind of everything that you see on a TV show um, that is not filmed with a real camera. You know, anything that's not um, physically filmed with, you know, a, a Canon, a food, you know, whatever, um, that's motion graphics. It can be anything from lower thirds to an open, you know, the, the intro, uh, intro to, you know, for example, like what I do on The Masked Singer um, is the backgrounds behind the performances. Mm -hmm. the, that's considered, you know, motion design as well. So anything that is, it's literally just, you know, graphic design with motion. Mm -hmm. um, what you get into then is, uh, you know, from that, uh, you know, all of these things are motion design, but all of these, you know, motion design is not all of these things. So like there's visual effects. Visual effects is a little different. Um, usually visual effects almost always involves something that was filmed with a camera. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, uh, the, the obvious choice is when you get into um, horror films, you know, the blood effects, if someone gets shot and the mm -hmm. arm falls off, visual effects. Right. But it's not always as dramatic as that. Um, I worked on the film um, called King Knight, and we did a lot of just sign replacements. So you take an old, you know, for example, we took an old hotel that was out in the desert, and we wanted to turn it into, you know, a functional hotel that's not out, you know, out of business. So we create our own sign, we track it into the shot, we put it there, we make it look like the sun's hitting it, you know, all those different things. And that, there's a lot of visual effects like that. You also get into like digital makeup to where you age or de-age an actor, mm -hmm. um, cover up a tattoo or a, a cut um, or add a cut, you know, mm -hmm. same kind of thing. There, you know, I think there's visual effects in most films that you find, you know, it, it it might be something as simple as just covering up a, a label on something or something mm -hmm. along those lines. But that's 
that's visual effects. Adding um, smoke to a smokestack in the background. Of, yep, yeah. a lot of smoke, a lot of scene replacement, scene extensions. Mm -hmm. um, what about animation? How's that different from motion graphics? So animation typically is what we all think of when we think of what we watched as kids. You know, that's the, like that's the proper terminology of it is like you get into character animation. Mm. But from a higher level, animation is what makes the motion in motion design. Animation is just any time that you take a still item and then manipulate it over time. So animation can be stop motion. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be done on a computer or with a pencil mm -hmm. uh, or you know, pen and paper. It can, you know, but anytime you're taking something and manipulating it to move over time, animation. Would, would that be more of storytelling when you put animation with that category more so? I, I would think I would say so. I mean, motion design is the frosting on it. It's not always, you know, necessarily deeply telling the story. I mean, you know, it, it helps, you know, for example, a lower third will help identify who someone is. But the animation is really telling the story. It's really developing the characters. It's really and, and even if there's not a character, even if it's non-representational, there's still a character. There's something that you're, you know, the focal point, and it's it's building that kind of emotional connection to it. Well, if you do it right, it's connection. Yeah. It's building that emotional right. connection. Right. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So. so what got you in the business? What was your inspiration to do this? Yeah. So um, I guess I guess the quick, you know. Elevator bio is I went to film school and I wanted to out here. Take, uh, well, I went into University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Ah, yeah. So I wanted to take real cameras out and I wanted to be David Fincher. I wanted to be Darren Aronofsky. Those were the guys that were really big at the time. That was that was who I wanted to be. Um, but I realized really quickly that I just didn't have that personality. It's just not. I don't. I'm not very good at asking for favors. I'm not really good at kind of pushing through. You know, through a lot of those things. I'm a little bit more reserved and. Um, I found out that I really like to edit. At the time, this was, uh, and this, this is one of those stories that I always wonder if I should say, but um, it was really big to get the trial versions of software, and then if you could crack it, you had free software. <laughs> yeah, so I was the only person at my university that could figure out how to crack the software. Uh, so I had free versions of Adobe Premiere and After Effects starting my freshman year of college. And so by the end, um, our, our computer labs closed at 10. So if you needed anything done, you know, after 10 p.m., we all know college students don't do anything before 10 p.m., you had to come to me to edit your movie. So I was editing everybody's movies, I was doing all the animation, and um, so that was, it worked out really well for me. By the, you know, by the end, I was, uh, was able to get an internship with a place that worked very closely with NASCAR. They taught me how to edit a little bit more structured. Uh, and then from Baltimore, I was, uh, you know, I, I moved up to Baltimore, became an editor. But the whole time, all of my edits were very flashy. There was just a lot of bells and whistles. Maybe one could argue too much, mm -hmm. but you know there was just a lot of flash to it. Transitions, um, a lot of transitions, just a lot of stuff going on. And as time went on, I kept finding that I was having problems, kind of connecting to edit positions, to edit jobs. But I was getting these like really flashy things, and eventually I realized there's this whole world of motion design, and like that's what I was. I was never an editor, mm. you know. I was I was a square peg in a round hole, and that was the reason I was having difficulty. So once I kind of really changed the way I looked at things, started really inter interfacing with motion graphics artists, motion you know, and motion designers, like it was much more of a natural fit. Mm -hmm. I was advertising myself in a way that kind of helped my clients understand what I did. And it it really took off. Well, it sounds like you're you've got an analytical mind, and that's perhaps why you got into uh, motion graphics more so. 
A lot of math, maybe some more so than editing, right? Yeah, there's definitely, you know, like, <laughs> I'm terrible at math, but I, I guess maybe not, maybe I'm not. Um, you know, there, there is a lot of math, particularly on the 3D side of things. Um, when you get into a lot of that, there's also a lot of code stuff, which probably helped with the, you know, since I was able to, to crack the software back then, because this was back before you could easily just type in a serial, you had to actually do code. <laughs> So um, after you cracked the software, did you have to change your name to DJ or something? No, 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 no. I, I had my own little special name. It was Zero with an X, X-E-R-O. I don't know if that's how you would pronounce it, but I said it was Zero. Where did DJ come from? So I was named after my dad. Um, so my name is Danny Summit. Um, so that's the D. And then since I was named after my dad, it's Junior. Got it. So yeah, I wanted to wanted to sound cool, and people still come up to me. I'm from I'm originally from Charlotte, and they always come up to me and tell me I sound like I'm from you know should be a NASCAR driver. Yeah. With DJ Summit, but all right. Yeah. That's good. Well, that's what was your first company that you worked for, right? NASCAR. Yeah, yeah. It was that was the first one. Was uh, was down there in Charlotte. So it was it was a good time. That's cool. Yeah. Summit Filmworks, right? Yeah. Is the name of your company? Yeah, it is. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I had spent some time at Hewlett Packard as their creative director for um, application content globalization. So basically, we we did everything that they do. Now that, that's after you moved out here. Yeah. That's that was I was living in Vista at that time. Okay. And they did everything for the Europe uh, for the Europe Mid East uh, and Asian markets. So anything that you'd see over there that was advertising, and I was creative director of that. And it was great. I had, a, you know, met a lot of good people, did a lot of good work, but I was starting to feel like I wanted to do something more than just printers. You know, I wanted to, to kind of expand outside of that. Um, so I started, I, I talked to a friend um, who has a production company in San Diego, and he kind of told me that there was a uh, lack of motion designers that he was aware of in the area. So I really, you know, so I started hitting the uh, market around here pretty, pretty hard. And I wanted it to seem like it was a little bit more established than just me out of my house, you know, because I felt like I was providing a service that was more than just me out of my house. You know, I felt like I was kind of giving um, a higher level of service than than just a freelance, you know. So I, I went ahead and um, started as an LLC as uh, Summit Filmworks. And I wanted, you know, Filmworks, I wanted it to cover all the things I did because at that time I was particularly focused. Um, I did a lot of um, film visual, uh, visual effects. Mm. Um, but well, I also... Which kind? So it was it was a lot into horror movies um, because, like I said, those are the ones that you know really. For one, I love horror, um, but those are also the ones that usually um, have the most. You know, um, I did King Knight. I worked with Ricky Bates Jr. a lot. Um, there was, you know, King Knight was one of his. Did um, you do like motion capture that kind of effect? No, it was a lot of screen replacements. Um, you know, as you may know, like anytime someone uses a cell phone in on TV, that's a screen replacement. They're changing the screen out because it just doesn't film very well. So, you know, we had upwards of 30 in, in one film, um, a lot of blood effects too. Um, those were kind of the big things, just compositing things on top of things uh, to make it feel, you know, to feel better. But on top of that, we, you know, the, the very first project I had as a freelancer was with a studio here in, also in Vista, Drive Studio. And they did the, uh, well, with them, we did the uh, graphics for the 2016 World Cup when it was in Russia. Mm. And uh, they also did the 2017 World Cup that was in Paris. They're, they're a fantastic studio. Um, so they, you know, I left Hewlett Packard to kind of do my first freelance project there um, with them. But I wanted it to be Filmworks because I did motion design. I did visual effects. I was still editing at that time. You know, so I did a little bit of everything in the video world. And I wanted to kind of capture that with, you know, with it. And I also like the concept of Filmworks. It's, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a. I don't know if pun's the right word, but mm -hmm. it's something. Um, 
but you know, so, so from there, you know, I developed, you know, I started developing a brand for it, um, you know, and it, it's really taken off. Like I've been, I've been extremely lucky, um, with the pandemic specifically there was, it was, it was very difficult time because at that point I had, I had kind of positioned myself with sports and conventions. And as we both know, both of those just stopped. And I was able to, within a few weeks, kind of move over to uh, television. And that was when I got uh, Mask Singer. That was when I got The Voice. That was when I got Disney's Magic uh, Bake Off, you know, and a lot of the shows that I still work on today. Uh, and then kind of concerts came. Once those started coming back, the concerts kind of came from there. But it was it was really a, you know, harrowing time, for, I mean, obviously for everyone, but to be able to kind of step over um and and you know rein, reinvent the company at that point was yeah. was pretty beneficial. So, yeah, it was yeah. a challenge for you know, a lot of people. You're yeah. right. Um, glad you came through it. Yeah, absolutely. So the software that you use for, let's say, motion graphics, is it still Adobe products? Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, every day I touch. You know, I'm in After Effects probably the most Adobe After Effects, um, and then with that comes you know Photoshop, Illustrator. Um, I use some Premiere, but I'm just faster even unless it's a big actual edit project um, I'm just faster in After Effects and just can kind of put it piece it together there um, but I do also co-manage the San Diego Premiere Pro user group um, so mm -hmm. you know we talk about Premiere and After Effects um, but also in a day almost every day I'll be inside of Cinema 4D because I do my specialty is kind of 3D um, so I'm you know I touch Cinema 4D every day and out of that I run the renderers Octane, um, Corona, Arnold and Redshift mostly Octane. And then um, been getting into Houdini and uh, the Unreal Engine. So, oh, yeah. Unreal yeah. Engine's unreal. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's great stuff, All though. the plugins. And... Yeah. Um, so tell me what makes a good motion graphic. Oh, when I figure it out, I'll tell you now. <laughs> um, you know, I think that one of the things that we talked about, when, and this is where I, you know, I, I am going to step on something that we said earlier of, like, animation being the storytelling I think for it to be a good motion graphic, like everything should tell a story. Even, you know, when the way that the lower third comes on and off, like there has to be a story and internal logic there. Mm -hmm. um, I think, yeah, yeah, there has to be a motivation for it. Um, I think that, you know, earlier I said that a lot of the projects that I did when I thought I was an editor uh, maybe had too much kind of bells and whistles. And it was because I didn't know why I was doing it. It was just, I, I had this thing that I had learned and I could do stuff, so I'm going to do it. But really having a motivation and using that to influence the story, um, I think that it's, as soon as you learn After Effects or Cinema 4D, you know, you have this desire to make stuff really, like, sparkly. But you'll realize really quickly that you're taking away, you know, it's film is a collaborative art, and you're taking away from a lot of really good performances to do that, mm. you know. Um, I remember specifically, I did this really cool thing in a film that I had worked on. It was, you know, um, a pretty good performance. I mean, it was luckily it was student era, so no, you know... I didn't ruin anything, but um, it was some good, good acting performances, and I had broken the shot apart and had it come together as like this vector art. Looked really cool. Completely destroyed the performances, though. You know, it didn't, it didn't really work there. And uh, it was years before I realized why that was, because I was so proud of you know patting myself on the sure. back for doing this cool kind of technical thing. But it's it's really about knowing when to step up and when to step back, and also knowing at what point 
of realism are you trying to aim for? Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of people who do 2D. They're not really going for realism, and that's great. Like, those people are immensely talented. 2D's not... Like, I can do 2D, and I'm, I feel like I'm pretty strong in it, but it's not why you necessarily hire me. On the 3D side of things, you know, we I do stuff for Mask Singer, which is obviously not going to be um, realistic most of the time because everything's neon and, you know, wacky. But there's also been times, like, for the Latin Grammys where, re where we recreated an old Mexican village and we had flowers falling and just knowing kind of the right right visual signifiers to hit. And I think that to make a good motion design piece, you have to have that motion, that, that, those visual signifiers, you have to have that backing. So it's not, you know, it's not about go out and learn all the things about After Effects. Like mm -hmm. that will help you, but it only helps you to a point. Yeah. You know, what's important is go learn everything you can about like Mexican architecture mm -hmm. or, you know, Hawaiian art or the way that an engine works. You know, all right. of those things are gonna, you know, those are gonna give you the visual signifiers and internal logic to be able to put things together right. in ways that are, you know, maybe a little bit more. Um, to make them look genuine. Yeah, it yes. looks genuine because those things will stand out. Like, you know, the, the things like when, when even if you're not a motion design artist, even if you're not a filmmaker, if you're watching TV, you'll, you'll see something, you'll be like, I don't know what it is, but something about that's weird. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that it just lacks in internal logic. Something right. seems forced. And a lot, I mean, to be fair, sometimes those are the things that a producer came in 30 minutes before it was supposed to air and say, we need this here now. Mm. Like, okay. But other times, you know, that could have been avoided just with a little bit of, yeah. um, well, a little bit backing. Perhaps that's the difference between amateur and a professional, right? You, you go through those levels in your career where you're just trying to make a flashy something to make, get people's attention rather than add to what's being done. Absolutely. You know, and I think, I think that, it's potentially a problem with the industry, but it's not a solvable one to where like when I, when you start out, it is an arms race. You need to be the person that can do X, Y, you know, that can do all the things, you know, you've not been in the software as long as other people have. So they want you, you know, so you're expected to a, be able to perform really well to be able to get the job, but you also have to be able to make sure that the text can animate in a way. And like, you can do all the technical side of things. Right. So for, I, I know for the first 10 years I was doing it, it was just an arms race of like, let me get down all the technical like bells and whistles. Mm -hmm. And then that was, that was really when it hit me of, you know, it was probably 2011. I went to Adobe Max and I was watching stuff and I was like, why is this so different than what I do? It just something, you know, I, I, at this point I had even done the opening titles for CSI New York. I mean, I had done high level things, but I couldn't put my finger on what was the differentiator. And finally I realized that, it was the why, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. that it, it was, I could do all, yes, I could do everything that was up there, Push all the but buttons. I would have never chosen to do it because I didn't know why they were doing it. Right. And that was where things really started to take a well, step. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it was, and, it, and it's not, you know, in my opinion, it's not necessarily until you have all those bells and whistles that you then have the freedom to be able to explore yeah. that, you know. Then you have the confidence to just move You have the forward. confidence, but also you have the projects that warrant it, you know, yeah. I mean, because at a certain point it is someone, say, you know, calling you and just saying, like, I need a logo to breathe, whatever. You're mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll, whatever you say, I need to pay rent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Would you say working with a team of people helps make uh, good work or do you like working by yourself or? I like both. Um, you know, I think that especially, Especially when you're first starting out. I mean, it's it's almost, you know, it's so crucial when you're first starting out to, to work with other people because you're going to learn from those people. You're going to get, you know, a lot of input from those people. They're going to teach you how to do things. Um, had I, so I was the sole editor at the place that I worked in Baltimore. 
I was the sole motion designer at a few places that I had been. So I did kind of live in this enclosed environment where there was no senior motion graphics person to kind of teach me things up until I was at Qualcomm. Um, it was just me. And I think that my learning curve could have been flattened a little bit had someone been there to say like, you know, walk past my desk and say, hey, that's, it's not gonna work. Yeah. You know? Well, I appreciate the fact that you said you worked for 10 years learning the software. Um, that speaks loudly to me because I think some people think they can just learn in a few months and get ready and, and be at that level that they wanna be, but it takes some time. It does. Everything, everything takes time, I think. And then the fact that software keeps changing and mm -hmm. you got to keep adapting. And Most software. I mean, maybe not Word and Excel, but, you know, most software, it's it's like those, it's, it's a glass that's this tall. And I think that it's easy to think that you know it when you have this much mm -hmm. water in the glass, you know, because you can do the things. And for the longest time, I thought I knew it. You know, it's like, oh, I've got all, I can make the things move. And then I found, you know, there's, I've been doing it all the wrong way. And, you know, you, you open up this entire, you know, other 75% of the software that you didn't even realize was there. And I still don't use, you know, all of it because I just don't, you know, you want, there is a certain point where you kind of have the things you do. But I remember even in, I think it was 2014, I learned Mocha, which, um, I don't, I don't know who owns Mocha now, maybe Boris, but uh, it's used for tracking. It's a planar tracking, so it's how you make sure that you're, um, it's the best way to do signs that mm -hmm. stick in place, those phones, that kind of thing. And I remember that after I learned it, I, all of my projects for two years was that. And it was not because necessarily I was even aiming for that. It was just this, all of a sudden, you know, you have this new thing and, and people start coming to you for yeah. it. You know, and it was something that I could, you know, had gone 13 years in my career not even knowing that it was possible or not even thinking about it. And then one day I found it and it changed it my two, three years. Yeah, it, it yeah. changed everything. That's, that, well, that's a great principle of life. I mean, if you're prepared in a certain category, then the stuff is, the work is going to come in that category. Yeah. I, it, I firmly you know, believe that for sure. It does. It always reminds me of uh, a trip that I took with my family. This is a little sidebar, but we, it was one of these cross country trips when I was a kid. And we stopped at a place in Mitchell, South Dakota, com made completely out of corn. None of us had ever heard about it before. It was called the Corn Palace. It was amazing. Um, but none of us had ever heard of it. And as soon as we left, we were driving across South Dakota. And then we started seeing U-Hauls that have those, you know, the stamps on it. Yeah. And they were all for the Corn Palace. Uh, We'd never heard of it before. Now I still see it to this day. Can't get away from the Corn Palace. Corn Palace is everywhere. What is so, the Corn Palace? It's it's amazing. It's I think it's like a little municipal stadium. I think the high school uses it for basketball or something. <laughs> but it's made entirely out of corn. And I think they change what? it every year. Like, yeah, it's I think they built it in the 30s. I don't what? know about that. But they've been they've been changing it every year. And it's to show the harvest of the regions. In Mitchell, South Dakota, it's really impressive. That is impressive. Yeah, I thought you were talking about a restaurant or something. No, it's the Corn Palace. It's really fantastic. It's, <laughs> it's they, It kind of has a... Uh, Eastern European, or at least when I went, it had this, you know, it's got the onion domes. It's trippy. Yeah, it's very cool. Huh. So uh, when you're working with these high-profile stars, say Jennifer Lopez, Carrie Underwood, um, do they do all the design, or does their team give you a design, or do they say, this is what we're thinking, you know, you design it, mm -hmm. run with it? What's... Um, there's varying levels. So with Jennifer Lopez, uh, I, I get, they have a creative director, I step in, and I take over kind of what they want. They give me a pretty, pretty good direction on yeah. that. You know, like this, the, what they want um, has kind of been fleshed out at least in a drawing or, a, you know, something along those lines. 
Uh, with Carrie Underwood, there was a little bit of a difference. Um, I That was a much more in my court on that. And so we sat down and we figured out, you know, I was kind of given the background on what, the, you know, what's in the videos, what's kind of the, the aesthetic that they've used in other songs. But and, you so know, these are all for music videos, right? Or well, for stadium for live concerts. So in both uh, the, the I do live concerts mostly. Um, so for example, I'll give you a good example. With Jennifer Lopez, I did Jenny from the Block. Um, that you know that was one of the songs that I did for her show in. Uh, it was in Central Park during the pandemic. It was one of those Global Citizen Live where they were raising money for uh, frontline workers. So. With that, I am given a, I was given a, like a PowerPoint with lots of slides of like, here's New York looking things. Cause it was, they wanted it to feel very New York. You know, mm-hmm. she's Jenny from the block. It's talking about her past there. And, um, so they, they gave me a lot of like, you know, these are kind of some of the imagery we want to see, but also here is like some of the art style we want in that, you know? So it was kind of like a mood board of those two pieces. Um, and I did multiple songs for her like that. And so, you know, another one was, uh, I don't remember the name of the song, but I remember it was the one that was themed to Flashdance because that's one of my favorite movies, Flashdance. And um, it was just, you know, we just did like these red pulsating lights behind her um, on these on the boards. It was, you know, it was pretty minimal. These are digital boards. Yeah, these huge LEDs. I mean, mm-hmm. different shapes and sizes. And, you know, when we just did red outlines on it. Um, you know, so, so they've, they've given a lot of that kind of look. Um, but with Carrie Underwood, you know, we sit down and we're like, all right, so for example, Hate My Heart was the single that came out during that tour. Uh, this was a 42 stop tour. Hate My Heart was one of the big songs we wanted to hit really hard. Um, they show, you know, that she had a mic stand that had a heart on it, it was wrapped in barbed wire. So we kind of make it this heart that then explodes and comes together and explodes and comes together and it's pulsating with the music. We've added this kind of digital noise. Um, so I, you know, so I was able to take something that was from the song, then bring that to life. Um, but in other, you know, in other situations, um, you know, I think it was Cowboy Casanova. We did the snake thing, um, you know, but it's just coming from conversations. Like it's, there's not necessarily a backing to it. Um, you know, the same goes with, uh, the kind of the big finale was, uh, before he cheats, um, which is her, you know, I dug my key into the side uh, that song. I'm not going to sing, um, but we took these kind of like phone booth kind of towers and we filled them with smoke. So we knew, um, you know, we had kind of worked on the, the show and we figured out that her song burn was going to be where we spent all of our money on fire. And we, you know, we, we'd done fireworks during cry pretty. So this was going to be our big smoke. We just had a lot of smoke going on. So we brought that into the piece and we kind of filled these chambers with smoke and to add some tension, like the smoke wasn't quite getting it there. So like, you know, we kind of, I, I made a, uh, a call at the last minute to add some embers in there just to give it a little bit of a smolder. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of bring those elements in and you just start laying pieces on just to give intensity. Mm-hmm. And then it's all about, you know, changing it up. You know, you're, you kind of have a look for the verse, you have that pulse, then you switch over to the choruses and you just build it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... That one's super collaborative. You asked about, is it better to work with people? Um, once you get past the learning stage, I mean, you're never past the learning stage, but once you kind of get past that formative stage, I think the the benefit of working with people is really, I'm never going to have the best idea alone. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, I might have a great idea, and that's hopefully why people are hiring me. Mm-hmm. But if I talk to everybody else and get their take on it, someone's going to say something that can take that just... Yeah, but it was it was um, kind of known like when Carrie Underwood called, um, I they told me that it was a country music artist. They couldn't tell me who it was yet. I hadn't signed the NDAs or anything, but they said that it was a country music artist who was starting a tour in October, mid-October. And it was a really big artist. So I looked it up and I knew that it was either Travis Tritt or Carrie Underwood. Mm. 
And I looked at my, knowing my reel and knowing what my style is, I knew that it, I was a really bad match for Travis Tritt. Yeah. But Carrie Underwood had a, uh, her newest album was called Denim and Rhinestones. And like, that is my motif. <laughs> like, that's my style. You know, you, it's sparkly. It's a little, you know, it's got a little bit of an edge to it. Um, but it's not like super edgy. And so I, so we all kind of knew going in what we were aiming for. So these folks called you on, uh, because they saw some of your work, that somebody referred you? Yeah, so the way that that one worked, from my understanding, is that they got my information from Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez got my information from Steve Aoki, so I'm kind of working gotcha. the way through. Yeah. So Who knows who will call next? Oh, that's great. Hopefully someone. <laughs> is there any particular visual effects um, that you particularly like to do, more so than others? You know, I, I like, the thing I like about the visual effects in general is that it's so different, you know, um, it's just so different all the time. Um, I think that it's, it's really fun when, you know, my, I guess my favorite, it's not the style, it's not the piece, it's, it's the way it works, you know, Hate My Heart's a great example where we had done the entire concert the concert was finished except Hate My Heart. And we were talking like two days before the whole, we were up in Pennsylvania at the time, the entire set moved and went down to Greenville for the first show. We had two days before that and I was not going to South Carolina. Um, and there was kind of this feeling that, like, hate my heart had gone bad. You know, like, there was, nobody had seen anything. I was the only person that had seen anything with it, and it was just taking forever. And so I remember I sat on the stage, and I looked over um, and said, you know, to, to, I said to Carrie, I was like, hey, you know, this is going to have to be really good to warrant how long everybody's had to wait. And, they were, you know, everybody was kind of like, yeah, it is. Oh, no. And so I called everyone to my office later. And I was like, here's what I got. This is the first half of the song, but it's rendered. You can take a look at it. And it had cost about $900 just to render the first half of the song for a first pass, which was eating into my render budget quite a bit. Um, and they loved it. Mm. And it was, which was great because I didn't really have the budget to re-render it. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah. to figure out Thank something God, else. Yeah. But, and that's, that, those are the moments where it really like, you know, that's the ones that I enjoy the most is when things are, you know, when you when you pull kind of a win out of something that was not great, you know, like when you have a piece that maybe, you know, there's there's a, there's a saying that you have a lot that it's better than it should be, and those are the ones that I enjoy the most. It's yeah. when you can kind of figure out a way to take something that should be kind of bland or that you know a lot of people would kind of phone in and turn that into a real moment. Uh, that's why I do it, you know, because. I get to do something different every day. I got to make a heart explode, and then the next, you know, on like two hours later, I'm making this snake go through a metal field, mm -hmm. and then like I'm doing a big church bell kind of thing. You know, it's it's just fun. So, yeah, you know. oh, that's great. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, when you these concerts go on, there's I don't know fifty thousand people mm -hmm. watching. There's I understand some of your work's been in Times Square. Mm -hmm. A lot of people view it. I mean. How does that make you feel? So many people get to see your work. Oh, it's great. You know, um, so there two. Th those are actually two different examples. So I remember I didn't get to see. I, I we we ran the concert thirty times in Pennsylvania. So I had seen the concert, but I went to the LA show when Carrie Under Underwood came, and it was the first time I had seen an entire concert I had done, um, with it live. You know, and it was incredible. It was you know to look around. I kind of kept looking around. Like I would turn around from the stage and look at all these people. And I know that they're not there. To, you know, I'm not Kobe in that situation. But we we stole, we sold out Staples Center. I realize I'm not Kobe, but like I'm at a world peace. You know, they're still there to see me do the, you know my thing. And that was that was a real moment. And I think that you know that. But even more so, the Times Square stuff. Um, 
I went to see it in Times Square. It was on the digital Godzilla, which is the biggest screen in the world. It's there on the uh, right on Times Square at the you know Marriott Marquis. It's the, the length of a city block and then 50 feet on both sides of that. And it's, uh, you know, I did 200 of those for Sirius XM. And it was wild to see it because the thing that really speaks to me on that is nobody's necessarily looking up to see it. They're not, you know, they're not there. They're not coming to Times Square to see my stuff. But right. that's what's even more incredible is like you could no longer tell the story of these people's lives with what we did. You know, like the, we became the tapestry of the culture, kind of the background. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something kind of beautiful in that. And a side note about the Times Square piece, which I think is a kind of a fun little story. Um, when in 1998, there was a show on MTV called Total Request Live. And after school every day, I would go home and watch it with my friend Zach. We would watch it and we would uh, fanboy over our favorite brand, band, Korn. I remember one day Korn was on and I told him they were unveiling their new album and there was a big uh, billboard in Times Square. And I remember I told him, dude, one day I am going to be on one of those billboards with Korn. Or I'm going to be on one of those billboards. I don't know if I said with Korn. And uh, the second billboard that I did when I took over from SiriusXM was announcing the new Korn album. So I had it printed huge. It's in my office on a big sheet of metal. How cool. Yeah, yeah. it took, took me, you know, 20 years. But I was able to finally get, you know, do my Korn billboard in Times Square. Isn't that something? I love that. I think expectation has a lot to do with success. And I think that's, you've proven that again, you know, that you just expected to get there. So... You're president of the National Association of Television Arts and Sciences for the Southwest region, right? Yep. So one of their products is the Emmys. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I uh, was at CBS in Los Angeles, and I'd worked on Big Brother, and that's through the Television Academy, which is a different organization than the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. But I was nominated there, and I it was kind of my first foray into the Emmys, and I, I was just really... And it's the biggest award, you know. So I, I came back here and I wanted to get involved with the chapter here. Um, and the Pacific Southwest chapter specifically covers the area. Um, our kind of two anchor large markets are San Diego and Las Vegas. But we also include Bakersfield, um, parts of Orange County, San Luis Obispo, Santa Margarita, uh, you know, those areas. So uh, and Palm Springs. So I wanted to get involved on those, and it was really getting involved to uh, not just award excellence within broadcast, but it was to really take and, and at this pivotal moment when video is everywhere, you know, um, how can we how can we kind of elevate the craft? I think because one of the, you know one of the things that I always kind of used to get grumbly about as an old you know me being the old man was that I could make a great you know I could make a short film and it would get 50 views on YouTube but like a surfboard you know a dog on a surfboard gets like 900 million mm -hmm. and that's fine you know like but it's a matter of like how can we then elevate you know the the true storytellers how can we create kind of a a meritocracy and I, that was already being done so I wanted to kind of get in with that. I wanted to be able to help elevate that. And I wanted to be able to help elevate our region because I think that San Diego and Las Vegas, Palm Springs, you know, San Luis Obispo, all these, you know, all these areas are doing fantastic work and they're doing important work. You know, when, when p there's a mudslide, for example, like that, you know, it just happened during all the rains in um, this, you know, up in the central coast area, people need to know that. And, you know, there are people out there every day telling those stories. Um, you know, the, the Academy is, you know, we're focused on not just news, but all, you know, and but independent production. 
but you know, I wanted to, I wanted to explore both and I wanted to be able to really represent members from both and be able to, to go onto a national stage and say like, Hey, look, we're doing fantastic work. I mean, when, you know, on one October, uh, the shooting in Las Vegas, like those, the people stepped up and represented the community informed the community of what was going on. They were there to help connect, you know, loved ones to, you know, the services that they needed. And I think that that serves a really important thing. Then you bring that into the independent production side of things where people are telling the stories for a brand. They're telling a documentary. Um, and I think that it's like, that's the kind of thing we need right now is because we have a lot of, you know, it's very easy to make content, but I think that when you have people who are using the medium to inspire, to inform, mm -hmm. to really help advance things, um, I think that that because it's not always as instantly gratifying, that is something that we really need to focus right. on. And that's something that we do need to help support um, because, you know, I don't know if a, a guy that, you know, filmed his dog surfboarding needs our help. You know, he's got his views and it's fantastic. I've watched it a thousand times. I love it. But like, you know, I don't know that that needs, you know, the support, but like, you know, some of these documentaries that are, you know, telling the story of underserved communities, you know, that's, those are the people that need us, you know, to, to help support that, help get that to more people. Mm -hmm. And because not only is it an important story, but it's being told in such a masterful way, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and it's dealing with issues that, um, are important to thousands of people. And I think that that's, you know, or millions in you know, most cases. And so I think that that's, that's the reason I got involved was to really help kind mm -hmm. of bring, um, bring those to the forefront and just help support the broadcast throughout our region. Yeah. Um, and, you know, now, I've, now I'm involved on a national level too, and it's just to kind of help broadcasting on the national, you know, across the country. That's great. I love that. I think art has a lot to do with elevating society to its greatest potential, and I think uh, I really appreciate what your, your motive on that is. What do you do to decompress and get away from that? I mean, you know, get outside. What do you, what do you like to do outside of that? Uh, you know, I have a five-year-old son. He's... The most amazing person. Um, he's he's the best. So we watch Pokemon. We go to the we go to Ducks games. He's a big fan of the Anaheim Ducks until they start losing, and then he's a big fan of whoever's winning. <laughs> um, he's big fan of the Padres until uh, he's not. He was telling me this morning he's a big fan of the Dodgers because the Dodgers beat the Padres. So oh. he's he's a big fan of whoever's winning. Yeah. I, I told him he's disloyal, but uh, <laughs> I hang out with him. But you know, I like watching movies. I like true crime. I like I you know I'll if you show me a serial killer documentary, I will watch it. Um, so yeah, I like to, you know, I, I like a lot of turn off TV, you know, just the stuff that's, uh, you know, as much as I say, talk about the, you know, elevating the, you know, the importance, I, I like to watch stuff that I can just completely shut my brain off and mm -hmm. just, just go. Just um, I'm, one of my guilty pleasures that I do love to put on like jewelry TV or like the home shopping network. Cause I can completely turn off and just watch things spin lights <laughs> and like, I just don't think it's almost like a meditation. Yeah. So yeah. That's funny. Uh, well, you know, what kind of advice do you have for some of these folks that want to start in this industry? All right. So if you're going to start in the industry, I guess my, my advice, um, don't listen to your parents. No, that's actually somewhat true is I think that one of the things that really helped me was that I didn't give myself like a backup plan. You know, I took a business minor, but that was mostly just to make sure that I didn't like spend all my money on, you know, whatever it was, um, I didn't have a backup plan. And one of the things that, you know, the, the story I always give with that was I used to do competitive weightlifting and I was strong. I could, you know, at this point I was deadlifting between four and 500 pounds, Jeez. but I couldn't do a single pull up. And one day I realized I was like, okay, I keep going over to the assisted pull up machine. I should be able to just rep these out. 
So I was hanging out. I'm like, all right, let me try to do one not on the assisted machine because someone was on it. And I did about 10. And I realized that when you have a backup plan, when you have something that's a, like, you know, a way, when you give yourself the chance to fail, you will. Like you just won't commit to it in the same way. So like I, you know, I never really had a backup plan. I've never worked outside of the entertainment industry. Um, I've never, you know, I guess you could argue some of it's not super entertaining, <laughs> but I've never worked outside of the film and video. Um, and I think that that was crucially important was, you know, there was always, if this doesn't work, I mean, obviously I'm not going to be destitute, but I'll figure, you know, I would then take something, mm -hmm. but it was never like, let me dabble in something to see. It was right. just, I'm going to give it my full. And, right. and I think that, you know, some of that comes from a place of privilege that I was just able to be able to do that. But I gave it everything I did. I kept showing up. You're convinced that was your lane. Yeah, it was, it was the, you know, it was the only thing I was, you know, could do. Um, because it was the only thing I was trying to do. And at the end of the day, uh, I didn't mind working for free. And I know that that's, you know, controversial. And I'm not, you know, I, I say, don't be afraid to work for free. I don't mean don't work for, you know, work for free for Target. Don't work for free for Target. Target can pay you. Yeah. But, you know, my friend's films, um, or if there was a company, like a startup company that truly, you know, did not have the budget, yeah, I'd put something together for them because, like, I'm getting to make stuff. And it's going to help me. Um, you know, those, those are the situations, but I would, you know, I showed up, I worked on friends films. I worked on, you know, small projects that truly couldn't pay or could pay just, you know, that much. And mm -hmm. I still do today. You know, I'm mm -hmm. working on, I've worked on things that, that, you know, were where I did not get paid the rate that would be fair, but I learned an amazing thing from it. And, it's, and I'm not saying to do it for exposure. I'm saying to do it because you're going to get something out of it. Right. But, you know, just make as much stuff as you can. And also the other thing that I would say is there was a place back in 2003 called MoGraph.net. And it was a like a message board. And me and Beeple and the, guy, um, the guys that started Grayscale Gorilla and School of Motion, like we would all go there and we would, you know, talk and we'd share our stuff. But I had a really big ego at the time, so I would never post any of my projects. And these guys did, and they'd sit there and tear each other down, and they would do great work. And they'd say, you know, but then they'd come in and tell each other why the work sucked. Mm -hmm. And I could never do it because I didn't have the, I didn't have it in me to find out why my stuff sucked. Yeah. I was too precious about it. Yeah. And I would be a better designer today if I had them. Right. Had I had I just sucked it up and said like, you know what, I am learning, and it is okay for it to mm -hmm. suck. Like, that would have been fine, but I didn't. And, you know, that's the reason Beeple sold his stuff for $69 million. And, uh, you know, I'm, do I'm doing fine, but it's, yeah. you know, I, I should have. And then, you know, so put your stuff out there. Don't be precious about it. Just let it get torn apart, especially mm. when you're learning. Like, if I if my stuff got torn apart now, like, I'd be a little sad. Mm -hmm. But back then, that's I mean. part of training. That's I'm not supposed to make good stuff. Yeah. I don't know why I had this, you know, but it's, you're learning, you know, you're so precious about it. Yeah. And so I look back. You've made it and it's great. I yeah. don't care what you think. And, and I can look, go back and look at stuff and I would, I see things that people would have pointed out to me that mm -hmm. took me five and six years to right. learn, yeah. you know, and I could have fixed it in an afternoon. You great know, it advice. Wasn't, yeah. So I think that, you know, put your stuff out there and just don't be precious about it. Mm -hmm. You know, keep going. Don't give yourself a, and you know, don't, if you can, don't give yourself a way to fail. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. great. I remember talking about parents. I remember my dad telling me to get into computers, and this is back in the mm -hmm. you know 70s. And he's probably right, you know, because obviously everything runs on a computer today. wasn't uh, going to be that wasn't my lane. I didn't think it yeah. was going to work for me, and uh, I, I stayed in in the film industry. But anyhow, parents have the right intention. They want you to be successful, but you got to follow your passion. And I think uh, 
Some great advice. Yeah, I was so. lucky. When I told my parents I wanted to go to film school, my dad said, then make the best movies you can. And mm. do, yeah. I do my best. Yeah. So they, they were both very supportive. So that yeah, was lucky. Isn't it? So what's this t-shirt mean? Oh, highly suspect. It's a band. Oh, it's yeah. a band. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's a band. One of my Are favorite you bands. a musician of any kind? Uh, I try to be. I play guitar. I play bass. Um, I've performed a few times over at Aztec Brewery. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, I've been learning. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. You gotta let me know next time you're down there. I will. I'll put. I'm trying to put together an acoustic piece now. Acoustic show now. If I ever, if I ever just stick with the uh, selections of songs, it's all covers. You know, I just want to. I do it for fun. It's just kind of an outlet. But if I ever actually pick the songs, um, I've I've picked. I probably had seven different set lists, and as soon as I learned the song, I'm like, I don't want to do that one anymore. So. <laughs> We'll get there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I mean, your whole work, uh, your the industry is pretty much the music industry where you do your work. So yeah. I figured you must be in the music sometimes. Yeah, no, I'm a big, big fan of music. Music is kind of, I, I wanted to go into music production, but I also realized I just don't quite have the ear for it. Um, mm. You know, I, I think it's one of those. I, it, it's kind of like the person that's colorblind trying to, you know, go into being a colorist. It's mm. just probably not going to be the best job mm-hmm. kind of the same thing with in my case like i can i i can hear fine but i don't have that perfect pitch of like you know yeah. this is a g like i'm not close to that you know right. it's i just kind of like it like ah it's got a cool groove i'm into it you know mm-hmm. like yeah so, yeah well i sure appreciate you coming on i oh. think it was uh, some very valuable information that you shared sincerely appreciate appreciate you having me it's been yeah. it's been fun and i uh, look forward to and you play down the road here. All right, I have to I have so. to do better. We'll get we'll get something going. Which website should they go to, or where, yeah. where how can they contact you? See what you're doing these days. Sure, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, at DJ Summit, DJ S U M M I T T, two M's, two T's. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at Summit Filmworks, S U M M M S U M M I T T, and then Filmworks. Uh, that's that's where you can find me. For more information on the Film Hub, you can follow us on Instagram at the Film Hub Inc. or visit us on our website at thefilmhubinc.com. Thanks for coming in, and uh, I'm not going to arm wrestle this guy. <laughs> the Film Hub: Inspire the creative, ignite the world.